This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. A good Tuesday morning to you. Or afternoon or evening or late night, whenever you're catching Real Talk, we appreciate it. Coming to the end of September here, September 27th, in just uh, under 10 minutes, we're going to be talking to Dr. Piero Garofalo, uh, University of New Hampshire. He's the author of a new book, Internal Exile in Fascist Italy. It's taking a look back at the Mussolini regime. Of course, everybody's paying attention to what's happening in Italy these days as a far-right coalition winning the election on Sunday, a snap election following uh, the resignation of uh, Italy's prime minister. We're going to talk to Dr. Garofalo about what this means. Is this the return of fascism to Italy? Uh, we wanted to get the inside and informed perspective on that one, so we're looking forward to that. We're also going to take a look at a couple of the submissions to the Real Talk mailbag to talk Woo! at ryanjesperson.com. We love getting emails from Real Talkers, and uh, this one from Darren which we'll get to uh, within the next hour. Darren, uh, tease up nicely our conversation tomorrow with Dr. Sajad Fazl, who I'm looking forward uh, to speaking with. He put out this uh, this Twitter thread just the other day. He said, hey, listen, uh, it was like a nonpartisan political thread. He said, here's what's bothering me about politics. And he says, and here's what politicians are going to have to do to get my vote. And he kind of laid out. Uh, I guess it's like an application for his vote, and he mm-hmm. and he wants politicians to he he wants to see better dialogue. He wants to see more bipartisan efforts, more cooperation. He's concerned about the the tone that politics is taking. And Darren's email kind of touches on that, so we wanted to get into it to tee it up nicely. Uh, Brad Galloway, you may have heard us announced that Brad was going to be on the show today. He sends his regrets. He's hopefully going to be joining us tomorrow. He's come down with something. Tis the season. Mm-hmm. It can be cold and flu season. He, he got in touch with us. He said, quite frankly, I've lost my voice. He's going to be a lousy interview. So we said, we said, we'll look forward to that conversation. Hopefully we can make it happen tomorrow. Brad's a, a former white supremacist. He's got a just an absolutely remarkable story. Uh, the guy was involved in some of Canada's most notorious extremist groups until he had... I guess a, 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 a sort of a life-changing epiphany. And uh, since then, he's been uh, attending post-secondary school. He's been participating in groups and forums and agencies and organizations to further conversations about addressing extremism in Canada. So Brad Galloway, hopefully, uh, though he sends his regrets for today, will be joining us, we hope, tomorrow and for sure by the end of this week. And of course, we're looking ahead to a conversation with Dr. Andy Knight as well on Thursday. We're going to talk about Canada's claim to the Northwest Passage uh, through the Arctic. Fascinating stuff. I don't know a whole ton about it, except for that once you start getting up into the Arctic, the sovereignty claims get a little bit more... Uh, what do we want to call them? Gray, mm-hmm. a little more gray. Uh, you know, there's been a, a deal between Canada and the in the U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo a few days ago raised eyebrows. I think at least in Canada when they said that, yeah, we're not so sure whose whose sovereign claim sticks when it comes to the Northwest Passage. But Canada has long held that, uh, and of course, as shipping routes change, as climate change, you know, continues to to manifest itself on the planet, we see the impacts of that. Canada's claim to the North. Northwest Passage becomes more significant. So that's coming up a little bit later on this week. We're trying to pay attention to a ton of stories. And of course, we always appreciate your feedback on those stories as well, letting us know what you'd like to hear more of and what's really catching your attention. And then, John, of course, it wouldn't be 
an unscientific, unofficial Real Talk Twitter poll. If we didn't talk about it the next day, it's the whole reason we run these polls. Yesterday, as Ottawa made the announcement, the Trudeau government making the announcement that it will lift all COVID border restrictions as of October 1st. Uh, That's just about four days from now, depending on when you're listening to this show. Uh, That means uh, no more mandatory masks on on planes and trains, no more quarantine requirements, no more mandatory use of the ArriveCan app, no more proof of vaccination to travel or to enter Canada to cross the border. We asked, will you still wear a mask when you're in transit, so to speak? About 1,700 people, 1,772 votes. We appreciate that uh, through my Twitter account at Ryan Jesperson. And the numbers kind of held true throughout from Mm -hmm. the first couple of hundred votes all the way through. It was always right around 60% of people that said, hell yeah, I'm still going to wear a mask in transit. So about six in 10, about 27% said no. And about 15% of you said, well, it depends. Although we did hear from some people that voted quickly on this. Mm -hmm. And then we're in touch with us after, uh, in particular, I, the, the founding president of the United Conservative Party, Erica Brudis, reached out. And she said, I voted too quickly and you can't change your vote on Twitter. She said, I voted hell yeah. Uh, she voted out of enthusiasm that she wouldn't have to wear her mask anymore. Oh, maybe that's And then she, she regretted that, that, that her vote was recorded as, as hell yeah, she'll keep wearing a mask. She said, I'm not going to wear my mask on planes anymore. So, again, an unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll. Mm-hmm. Does this align with where you thought people would be? Yeah, but now I'm thinking maybe they're skewed because a lot of people <laughs> got the uh, vote wrong. But yeah, I think most people will continue to wear, at least on planes. It's 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 dangerous territory. Like I said, my mom has COVID right now. She just got sick uh, from a short flight to Vancouver just two days. So yeah, yeah, I think that you know for the, for the most part. And again, this is why we present them as unofficial unscientific Twitter polls. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't control who's checking in. We don't know where they're checking in from. This is just a a sort of a casual or fun way uh, to see where people are at. Matt says, if the flight was empty, I would take my mask off and and order way too many mimosas. Attaboy, Matty. Hans says, I'll definitely be wearing it on a plane. Marlene Rohr checking in. Julie's mom. Love knowing that they're checking out the show and participating. Uh, Marlene says, I'll have a mask with me in case somebody around me is coughing or if I start coughing. She says, I traveled to Europe this spring. I wore masks while flying, and it was totally fine with me. Nostra Feed Me Brains says, I love my mask. It hides my moving lips when I silently mumble obscenities. Okay. Uh, traveling with a little bit of angst there, maybe. Sharon says, I've been traveling lots, and I'll be traveling even more this winter. So masks, flu shot, and a booster. And she says, and if somebody questions me, I will cough on them. <laughs> oh, Sharon. I don't even know if you could joke about that anymore. You ever get a tickle in your throat when you're like grocery shopping or something like yeah, that? Yeah, you got to hold it in because you're like, I don't want anyone to think anything. <laughs> COVID era. Yeah. Do the whole vampire hand, yeah, yeah. elbow, arm over your mouth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've all learned the proper techniques now. Oh, all yeah. the, all the, the kids vampire. coming up in elementary school have learned the proper cough techniques now. I love it. <laughs> there you go. Barry checking in. Barry Fernley, the rancher. From the goat barn. Love it. That's a great Twitter handle. Says, I fly for work every week. We ride the bus. We work together every day for a week with no masking required. And then get on a plane and put on a mask. It makes no sense in my circumstance. So I'm probably not going to wear one. Sean says, I'll always have one with me. Depending on who's hacking around me, I'll likely put it on. Otherwise, no. So people across the board, there you have it. 
about 60% approximately unscientifically, unofficially say they'll still wear a mask. So so a majority of you, but but not an overwhelming or sweeping majority. So so take with that uh, or take from that what you will. We always want to hear from you if, if this prompts something within you. Maybe it's going to prompt a trash talk. I don't know. That's coming up. Of course, we're going to have an early trash talk coming up this week. Uh, we will be observing uh, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. There will not be an episode of Real Talk coming up on Friday, the 30th of September. And so make sure you get your trash talk submitted early uh, to us by Thursday morning. And so we can consider those. Uh, we'll do that the day early, of course, presented by local environmental services. In just a moment, we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Garofalo. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Before we get to it, though, I want to let you know that this conversation is presented by our amazing sponsors, and that includes the team at Park Power. They've been powering our hashtag Real Talk RJ ever since Real Talk got started. Your friendly local utilities provider in the game with electricity, natural gas, and internet. Uh, I recommend you bundle all three to save administration costs. You can compare rates today. They've got the fixed rate, the variable rate, all of the resources there for you, including a, a helpful link to their frequently asked questions. A lot of people curious how the Park Power business model works across our home province of Alberta. Don't forget the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill. Hey, if you're looking to entertain, you got maybe family or friends coming over for Thanksgiving a couple of weekends from now, but you don't want to do all that work. You don't want to be over the stove, sweat, trying to keep it dripping off your forehead. Everybody else is laughing, having a great time, and, and, and you're in the kitchen, hours and hours of work. Why not save yourself that work, but still get all the praise? Yeah, Friesen Brothers has you covered. If you go to Friesen.com, you can check out their Thanksgiving dinner box. $60 feeds four people. That's an incredible deal. Of course, you can get as many of those as you want. If you need to feed 20 or 40 people, no problem. The team at Friesen Brothers has you covered. This starts with the slow-roasted turkey and all the fixins. You can add on whatever you like to customize your Thanksgiving dinner box. Details again at Friesen.com. Friesen Brothers is Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. At Westworld Computers, they want to let you know the iPhone 14 Pro is in stock. If you want to be the envy of all your friends, you want the latest of what Apple has to offer, you can go see your Apple experts at Westworld Computers in-store, or of course, you can shop online at westworld.ca. They've also got their overstock sale going on, which includes their MacBook Airs and their MacBook Pros. If you're looking to upgrade heading into the fall, Look no further than Westworld Computers at westworld.ca. Well, the eyes of the world, uh, can I even say that? I can't say the eyes of the world are on a specific country because the eyes of the world are all over the place right now, right? To be honest, you know, I mean, Hurricane Fiona and the devastation that that, that, that you know, imposed, that it tore through the Caribbean. Of course, Pakistan, uh, horrific issues there following the flooding. What about Iran and what's happening in Iran? We're watching there. So let's say millions and millions and millions of people outside Italy paying close attention uh, to the results of that country's election on Sunday that saw its first female prime minister elected. Is this the return, though, of fascism to Italy? That's what everybody's wondering as Georgia Maloney heads up an ethno-nationalist, fascist-rooted right-wing coalition 
uh, here to comment on it, Dr. Piero Garofalo, professor of Italian studies at the University of New Hampshire. He's a native of Pisa, of course, of the Leaning Tower fame. He studies fascism and contemporary Italian culture, politics, and society. His most recent book, just published this year, Internal Exile in Fascist Italy, Examining Crime and Punishment under Mussolini's regime. Doctor, thank you so much for making time for us and welcome to the show. Am I pronouncing your surname correctly? Am I doing okay on that? Yes, yes, you're doing great. Thank Good. you for having me. Hey, listen, we really appreciate your perspective on this. You literally wrote the book on fascism in Italy. Why don't, why don't we start with a bit of a, a scene setter? How did we get to the point of this election? Right, so Italy has a pretty complex uh, political system with lots of checks and balances that really prevents... Uh, single parties from repeating the mistakes of the past of, of taking complete control over the government. So it's pretty easy to bring down a government, which is what we've seen happen 69 times since uh, the end of World War II. So <clears throat> most recently, there was a government uh, under Mario Draghi, which was not elected. It was uh, what we call a technocratic government because no uh, coalition of parties could get a majority. So the president of Italy appointed Mario Draghi to create a government, which he did, called the Unity Government. And he brought in parties from all sides of the spectrum, except uh, the one party that refused to participate was uh, Giorgia Meloni's party. And this summer, he lost a vote of confidence when the uh, Five Star Movement party uh, took objection to some policies uh, the League and the Berlusconi's party, known as uh, Forza Italia, or Go Italy, also uh, did not participate in the vote, <clears throat> and so the government fell, and that led to the snap elections that we just had this Sunday. This is, uh, I think, catching a lot of people's attention, including some of the, you know, obviously reporting outlets across the so-called Western world, but not typically... The political commentators, I mean, I reference right now the Hollywood Reporter, for example, the Italian entertainment industry is reacting to what they're characterizing as a, a far right election victory. Uh, the Atlantic uh, states Italians didn't exactly vote for fascism. And, and Yasha Monk writes about that in The Washington Post. We see the headline danger lurks after Italy's shocking election. I mean, these are attention grabbing headlines. Are they accurate? Do they accurately convey what's happening in Italy to the rest of the world who maybe lacks the background or the nuance to understand this? Well, I think it's <laughs> the short answer I would say is no, they they don't. Um, but they do capture sort of the the mood that people are feeling. Um, you know, it's it's shocking because Italy has a history of fascism with Mussolini. Um, and this is the first sort of post, you know, country emerging from that experience, which has returned to uh, electing a, uh, a coalition or parties that identify or have their heritage in um, in the fascist party. So in that sense, it is shocking and it is concerning. But <clears throat> by the same token, it's a it's a coalition of parties. Her party has received twenty six percent of the vote, um, and it only has a majority by drawing in some centrist parties, and it doesn't even have a majority with that. The coalition itself is about forty four forty five percent with these center center right parties, and <clears throat> but the way that the new electoral law works, 
uh, is that seats are assigned, seats in, in the Senate and in the Chamber of Deputies are assigned according to uh, kind of a, comp a complicated formula that does give them a majority. Uh, but when you look at the spectrum of how Italians voted and who voted <clears throat> and for which parties they voted for, it's not quite as um, sharp a turn or as unexpected a turn um, as, as the headlines suggest. We sort of knew going into these elections what the result would be. The, the, the pre-polls were pretty accurate. We had a good idea of what was going to emerge. And since the election, we've also seen statements from Maloney and uh, positions that she's taking, which are sort of uh, pushing her more toward the center um, and and less extreme positions than perhaps uh, her party platform of four years ago in particular and further back suggested. Yeah, she did. I mean, there, there's been a lot on on the record, I suppose, of 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 what you would describe as as anti-immigration rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. Warning that that ethnic Italians are in danger of so-called replacement. We've we've seen that theory trotted out, of course, around the world. Um, she's talked about an idea of a naval blockade to stop unauthorized foreigners from reaching Italian shores. Uh, people have questions about her feelings on. Vladimir Putin, uh, this has been described, I was just reading in the post, as, as a potential Achilles heel. Italy potentially is the Achilles heel as the Western world uh, looks to stop Russian aggression in Ukraine. Uh, can you comment on her policies, her history, her present day, wh what the world needs to know about Georgia Maloney? Right. So we've definitely seen uh, a movement of sort of rebranding her party and sort of making it more acceptable um, over the past uh, 10 years since its founding, um, but especially even since the previous elections where her party only gained about 4% of the vote, 4.5% of the vote. Um, and what we're seeing now is, and for example, in terms of the Ukraine, Maloney is actually uh, very supportive of the of of NATO's position and the EU position, but her partners in the coalition, the League uh, under Matteo Salvini and Berlusconi of Forza Italia are not. Um, and she's already <clears throat> been hinting that she won't give Salvini a, a ministerial position in the government. Um, so she seems to be really positioning herself in terms of uh, foreign policy, trying to uh, allay concerns of the EU and of uh, of the West in particular, and aligning aligning her political policies, um, her foreign policies in that sense with um, with the EU. <clears throat> the main divergences I think that we'll see are really in, in the social and civil and civil rights issues. So LGBTQ BTQ plus um, immigration. <clears throat> Salvini also is one who is very much in favor of a naval blockade. She's talked about that as well. It seems. <clears throat> that it's more of a rhetorical point for her. Um, I mean, I'm certainly there will be greater efforts to, to, present, to prevent immigration, um, but so much is, uh, of her government's success is dependent on Italy receiving the COVID recovery funds from the EU, which are about $200 billion uh. over the course of the next five years. That, um, and they're tied to certain um, civic position, uh, civil rights positions that, uh, countries in the EU have to respect. So if she tries to go too far in any direction, uh, she puts those funds at risk and that would really lead to the collapse of a government.
I don't know if I say she's been criticized, but let me say that that some people are are pointing out that that the new PM lacks a certain degree of political experience, and 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 there's you know people wondering what this may mean for Italy's economy, one of the more significant economies uh, certainly in Europe. Do you have insight on that with regards to where this government will stand, the coalition, and and what it could mean for for Italy? With regards to global economic recovery, we, we don't talk a lot about Italy's economy. You're you're probably going to have to take sort of a, a 101 approach for those of us that are going to be checking out this interview. Right. So Italy's Italy's economy used to be very, very large. Uh, it was the fifth largest economy in the world. And now I believe it's slipped to the to the eighth largest, but it's the third largest in the EU after uh, Germany and France. So it is a significant player. Um in in that sense and actually this past year it's been doing quite well uh, in fact leading the eu in terms of in terms of growth um, but much of that again is very much dependent on securing of these of these um COVID recovery funds so i think that criticism is a very valid one about her inexperience and that's a big the big unknown one thing that i think people are really looking to see immediately from Meloni is who she will appoint as, as Minister of Finance. Will it be someone that's sort of a known entity, you know, someone for us, maybe from the Draghi, from the previous government, um, or someone who's worked with the EU, um, or will it be someone more of a political appointment, someone who's sort of beholden to her, and that would, I think, send huge shockwaves through the financial world, huh. uh, Italy. Um, <clears throat> But she seems to be indicating that she wants to work within um, within the confines of of the parameters set by the EU. So she had originally in her campaign had talked about renegotiating everything, that everything was back on the table, um, and that's not really feasible. And now she's sort of talking that back and saying she just wants to finesse a, a few points. I would expect that she'll get she'll look for some small um, cosmetic concession. To say that she, you know, stood up to the EU, um, but ensure that she gets the EU funding; otherwise, um, her government will collapse. I'm, I'm still, to be honest with you, wrapping my mind around that that number you presented to us early in this conversation. Italy's had 69 governments in the 77 years since World War II ended. I mean, for virtually a new government a year. Uh, which which is unfamiliar for a lot of people trying to wrap their minds around that. There there is as mentioned a lot a lot of people throwing around the word fascism and is this the return to fascism in Italy and and again as we bring this full circle uh, in closing what do you what's what's your insight on what this says about where Italy's at right now as a nation where where the Italian people are at I mean I, I hesitate to to characterize an entire nation based on an, on an election win. Uh, but I, mean, I look at your home country right now. I mean, even in the United States, people look at, at you know Trump's victory, uh, you know, and, and and potentially is the Republican nominee again. People are talking about what that might mean in the context of January 6th and everything. I don't think I need to set the table there. I think everybody understands what I'm getting at. Now, that doesn't necessarily characterize Americans writ large, but it's certainly a population of the United States and a movement in the United States. So what can we glean with regards to where the Italian population is at as a result of this? Right. Well, I think that the rise of, of Maloney's party and her success in this election is is a trend that we've seen over the at least over the last decade of new parties emerging, populist parties emerging and being 
um, you know, these anti-establishment parties that <clears throat> people find appealing because they're so fed up with the previous governments, which seem inept, incapable of advancing the economy, of um, producing economic growth, it has been stagnant um, economically, really, for the, the past two decades plus. Uh, so <clears throat> the League and the Five Star Movement were two parties that preceded her, which, were, which um, kind of had the same sort of success and are now being checked. So she's part of that. She's part of a larger populist and right <clears throat> sort of right-wing push or turn in Europe and in the West, as we saw in Sweden and its elections. Um, but one could look at the UK even, look the, the rise of, of the far right in Germany, um, Le Pen in France, and of course Trump in the United States. Steve Bannon is, is uh, one of her groomers. Um, he sort of, you know, tries to, uh, has been working with her in terms of presenting her to the international public. And of course he was a close Trump ally. Um, but the other thing to remember, of course, is that Italy's center is to the left of, you know, the, the center in the United States. So who we call Democrats in the United States are frequently sort of more cons are considered conservative in Italy. Um, and who we consider progressives in the United States are sort of the mainstream in Italy. But it's certainly <clears throat> a reaction to the establishment, a reaction to globalization, a reaction to um, stagnant economic growth. Um, and if she is somehow able to maintain her government, which seems highly unlikely, I would imagine within the next two years it will collapse, um, sticking to history, if nothing else. Uh, but if she were able to successfully complete a term, which is five years, um, then one would, you know, then one could see per perhaps a real, a real turn, both economically but also politically, uh, to the right that Italy has has so far really avoided. Yeah, I mean, I'm speaking in really broad terms here, but you talk about. Uh, you know, things like, you know, a, a rise or a perceived rise in, in, in globalization or stagnant economic growth within a, a, a specific nation. And and some of these factors have been huge factors in past, I'm talking, you know, over the past number of decades or the past hundred years or even further um, to 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 providing credence or strength or growth to, to political movements that otherwise may be unpalatable to, quite frankly, to shocking political developments. Uh, in countries that that manifest themselves oftentimes into some of the great tragedies. I mean, you know, you, you've authored a book on on the rise of fascism uh, in Italy through World War II under Mussolini. I mean, th this is the type of thing that does resonate with people: anger and fear and and populist politics. Before we let you go, I mean, you're an expert on fascism. It doesn't just have to be limited uh, to Italy. Certainly, I mean, you're at the University of New Hampshire right now. Not, I'm not directly, I, I don't think, calling Donald Trump a fascist, but I think some people are looking at what happened on January 6th, the assault at the Capitol. And, and people characterize that. People mention that in the same sentence as Pearl Harbor and 9-11 with regards to shocking events in the United States that happened on home soil that, that threatened that very democracy. Uh, what do you make of uh, what remains a factor uh, in the far right in the United States, the, the rumored return of of Donald Trump, and I know some things could happen between now and then, but as, as the Republican nominee, what are you seeing around you, and, and what observations do you make about the temperature in the United States right now? Certainly, that in, in many respects, what's happening in the United States, I think, is 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 as concerning, right? It's it's part of the same trend that, we, that we're seeing in Italy, 
um, and, and in other parts of the world. In the United States in particular, what I find concerning, <laughs> we've already normalized um, what would have been what are would have been considered extreme positions that never really would have been discussed in public, but now they have they have a, a public voice, hmm. and we're now beginning to normalize in some way political violence as well. Um, as January sixth is 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 a debate, right? Rather than um, looking at purely as as you know, <clears throat> in my mind, it, it reminds me of Mussolini's march on Rome, which happened a hundred a hundred years ago in October. Um, this this sort of taking of power and legitimizing the violent action for whatever end one seeks, and I'm not seeing any any signs that 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 there's any real correction to that, um, or that there's any <clears throat> acknowledgement uh, in 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 <clears throat> trying to redefine people's positions. So I think what what's happening. Right now is is really a continuation of what of what we saw on January sixth and what we saw with Donald Trump, <clears throat> and that unless these these not not so much this next round of elections in the United States in November, but <clears throat> the following ones, how the campaigns are processed, what ensues, what <clears throat> Donald Trump's status means for the uh, Republican Party and the right in the United States will really help sort of dictate. Uh, the political climate that we're headed that um, that will, you know, address in the future. I mean, if democracy is really in crisis, it's going to emerge in these next two years in the United States. Do you think that Trump will be the Republican nominee? I actually don't. No. I don't. I both because of his age. I think his influence is waning. I think people know that it's a good rallying point for an ex for part of your base, the base that gets you into uh, into the election but it's not the base that gets you elected mm -hmm. you know you you, <clears throat> you appeal to the fringe of your party to get nominated but then <clears throat> to get to go through the general election you need to appeal beyond your base we've seen that with Maloney right she moved she galvanized her base but then she's taken much more centrist positions and was very successful <clears throat> you're, descri you're describing what's happening in Canada, Canada right now you're, you're describing what's happening in Canada with, mm -hmm. the, with the, the Conservative Party's just held its leadership race. And I think it's very fair to suggest that Pierre Polyev, who won in a landslide, uh, appealed to the far right fringe of the party to win. And, and now he's got two years or less to, to, to walk it back a little bit. But early signs don't necessarily indicate that he will. It's going to be fascinating to watch. If, he, if, if, if you believe political polling two years out from election, which is probably a fool's errand, um, you would suggest that he's the next prime minister of Canada, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, Piero, thanks for doing this. It's it's great to connect with you. You, you take something where I, I, I came into this. I told you yesterday by way of email, I don't know a whole lot about this story, but we were genuinely curious to understand it. And you boiled this down in, in a way that we could all uh, access it and, and wrap our minds around it. We're grateful for it. Thanks for your time today. Well, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, you bet. Dr. Piero Garofalo is a professor of Italian studies at the University of New Hampshire, Earned his PhD at UCAL Berkeley, by the way. He's a native of Pisa. His most recent book, Internal Exile in Fascist Italy, Examining Crime and Punishment Under Mussolini's Regime. You can find that anywhere you get good books. I uh, checked online. They've still got copies available right now. Uh, love the live chat. Brenda just says, thank you for that interview. Uh, Sharon says, really interesting. You guys know how much that means to us when you leave comments like that? We really appreciate it. If you really liked it, you can smash that like button. 
I know I always joke with my little guy when he's like seven now. He watches his little YouTube channels for kids and, and all the kids, the stars of the YouTube channels are like, hit, like, share, subscribe. And, and, and he laughs and we both laugh about it, but it actually does help us. It helps us make sure that more people see these interviews so you can share that around. I'm noticing here on the comments, Haas says pushing too hard to the left has brought the far right crazies out of the woodwork. And here we go. Haas kickstarting the convo again, says we need more mushy middle. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alyssa says, I'm, gra- I'm glad my grandfather's not alive to see what's happening with the rise of fascism across the world. It's like nobody has learned anything. BV says, don't forget to mention the fact that people have been radicalized by the Internet. These movements don't exist just because of real life frustrations. Yeah. Well, when Brad Galloway joins us, we'll talk about that. How did he get radicalized? How did he become an extremist, a white supremacist, a white nationalist? How did he how did he get there? And then how did he get out? Uh, that's, uh, I think, even the, the more fascinating part of the story. Although, who are we to say the entire story will be compelling? And that's coming up a little bit uh, later on this week. Uh, Brad Galloway will be joining us. He's done some with his, uh, you know, groups that he does work with as well. They've done some really interesting uh, studies on on hate extremism in uh, and terrorism in Alberta and Canada and beyond. And we're going to take a look at that report. I know that sometimes this is gut turning kind of stuff. You know, Johnny, we were talking about the rise of, mm-hmm. of hate and extremism, what's happening online and people are being radicalized. Now it's manifesting itself in politics and and, and finding its way in into the halls of power. But I think that sounding the alarm is one of the important things that we can do. And as, and as a community, we gather here, like, you know, as, as essentially a, a talk community to hash these things out, to seek to understand these movements and, and then to participate in real talk about what those implications are. And so uh, we really appreciate those of you that show up for these interviews. Plain Power checking in on the live chat says, I think that the terms left and right have been so misused uh, and that ignorance is really playing on people's fears. Yeah, I don't know if left and right, do, do people really understand? I mean, do people understand what fascism means when you invoke that word or that phrase? Do we under, When we say that someone's far right or that someone's far left, do we understand what that means? Are those labels applied appropriately? It's kind of what Darren writes in about uh political terms is the the subject line here i'll get to darren's email in just a second then we're going to get you up to speed on some of the news uh that's leading the headlines here across the country atlantic canada right now battered by that hurricane by hurricane fiona it's estimated that 700 million dollars damage done Did, did you see the news today that they're talking that they believe that most people uh because these hurricanes are not a common occurrence uh, on on the eastern seaboard, we don't really call it that, but on the Atlantic coast of Canada, mm-hmm. that it's it's expected that most people will lack insurance coverage for the damage that's been wow. done. In particular, the flooding from the surge, the storm surge. So they're saying that the tab on this could be you know just shy of a billion dollars. The majority of Canadians are expected to be uninsured on this. How brutal is that? And then of course, uh, Alberta's justice minister. Uh, announcing yesterday that Alberta will not cooperate with Ottawa on seizing uh, so-called assault rifles. We're going to bring you a portion of what Minister Tyler Shandro had to say, and uh, we expect that you'll have something to say about that. Share your thoughts with us. Uh, Hey, friends, you've still got a little bit of time, but there's a deadline looming here with the Covenant Foundation Lottery. 
that's right. There's another early bird deadline coming up on Thursday. And so I want to urge you today to visit covenantfoundationlottery.ca. You can you can take a tour of that $2.2 million dream home. Absolutely stunning. But of course, also 30 years of dream cars. They've been giving away luxury rides and big cash prizes for three decades now in support of the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. That includes a Maserati. You know, if you win the Maserati Grand Prize, this is one of the ones you got to get your tickets early to get in on, John. Mm-hmm. It includes a trip. I mean, you can always take the cash equivalent, but how fun would it be to head to the Maserati test track in Italy yeah. and drive some of these luxury sports cars? They're also giving away uh, Alfa Romeos and BMWs. Of course, you can take the cash there, too. They've got a beautiful pair of, what's a pair of Lexuses? Lexi? <laughs> Lexuses? Do you say Lexuses? Lexi? You can get your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Make sure you don't snooze. There's a whole bunch of deadlines coming up, and get your tickets on that 50-50 as well. At Kubi Renewable Energy, they're providing solar energy solutions to power your life, and they want to remind you about this Canada Greener Homes grant. We really want to hammer this thing home. Ten years to pay off up to $40,000 interest-free from Ottawa. They're trying to get people going green. So Kubi Renewable Energy, of course, they're hammering down right now. Their installation crews busy as ever in Alberta and B.C. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. They do all the paperwork for you so you don't have to worry about applying and then getting it approved and then talking to your bank. Kubi does it all for you at kubienergy.ca. At Local Environmental Services, you know, people say it's only garbage, but not to them. Uh, Whether you're looking for fence rentals or portable toilets, maybe in your community you're throwing a fall festival, like a pumpkin fest or something like that, Local Environmental would love to help. Uh, Maybe you're like Real Talker Graham, who needed a bin in front of his house as they prepared to purge their basement and downsize into a condo. Graham trusted localenvironmental.ca rave reviews. You can request your quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Don't forget Trash Talk coming up at early edition this week on Thursday, presented by Local Environmental Services. Loved this email. The minute that it came in, we printed it off. I knew I was going to read it. This from Darren. Uh, He says, I like the idea, to be honest with you, of having politicians define what they mean uh, when they use certain terms. Uh, Darren says, I think that politicians often get away with dog whistles and double speak without being called on it. You know, there have been way too many speeches and debates and interviews where they, they basically say nothing at all. I mean, there's nothing of substance. Uh, and he says, Jess, well, I think that you're generally o- okay, he says, at getting them on the record on certain topics. I don't mind the criticism. I like you challenging me. He says, and forcing them to clarify when they're trying to be vague already. But I do think the extra step of getting them to define the terms that they're using would be great. Darren, I think you're right. He says, a term that's been bugging me for years in politics is common sense. I've heard it so many times in the past few weeks from different candidates, you know, people, including in the leadership races, even from you yourself, Jespo, with no real explanation of what that means, as though the so-called common sense approach to something is self-evident. Darren says, I know that that's why the term is used to make the person's position seem like the obvious one. But in almost all cases, though, that's a matter of opinion. It's subjective, right? It may not even be a position that's supported by the majority of people. And I think it's really important that policy be based on research and science and data. And this should be offered up somewhere 
to support a position. You know, you should be able to go to any party uh, and find their their responses to a challenge or their shorter, longer-term solutions, you know? Some examples may be closing supervised consumption services or or cutting uh, income assistance, you know, to get people back to work or things like positions on private education or healthcare or the position that some would take on what they'd call trickle-down economics. Darren knows invoking that's going to prompt about 10 more emails. He says, honestly, a lot of the more extreme, what you might call right-wing views would qualify here. You know, some of these things can sound good when presented a certain way and not given much thought, but they may not stand up under scrutiny, right? What we need is uncommon sense, ideas that have been rigorously investigated to actually solve problems and improve our society, ideas supported by experts in their fields, demonstrated to work elsewhere, you know, that would solve long-term issues considering what impacts they may inadvertently have. Now, the problem with these ideas is they can be hard to communicate. You don't get good sound bites. You don't get to own anybody. Darren's kind of hitting a bunch of nails right on the head, right? He says, I guess my point is that common sense should actually be a red flag phrase in politics. People should be called out when they invoke it. You know, what what leads them to believe it's the right choice based on evidence and expert opinions? Who's telling them that that's the right way to tackle an issue? And what may their approach mean five or 10 or 50 years down the road? Darren says, I never miss an episode of Real Talk. Amazing. He says, I'm glad that you take a look at issues more broadly. He says, I know that both progressives and conservatives wish that your show would pick a side, and that's probably a good thing. And I hope that once we get to the other side of all these leadership races, that you can give some progressive politicians some airtime again, because it's been a rough slog only hearing from conservatives. But obviously, that's who's making news right now. Keep doing what you're doing. That from Darren. Darren, love it. And of course, leadership races do influence the editorial direction of the show because we wanted you to have an opportunity to hear from the front runners or to hear from the contenders in these leadership races, not just so you can make informed decisions because we recognize not everybody holds a party membership. Not everybody's going to be voting on a leadership. Hell, not everybody gives a damn. But you also want to know what's going on around you, right? I mean, none of us, well, I can't say none, but I would suspect that 99.9% of us are not Italian citizens. We're not going to pay taxes in Italy. There will really be no immediate impact in our own backyard of Sunday's election in Italy, as an example. But we want to understand the dynamic of what's going on. We want to know. We want an assessment from an expert in the field whether or not the fascist tag really fits. And if it does... What does that mean for the EU, for the Western world, for Ukraine and beyond? And so that's an example. One of the reasons why we would reach out to someone like Dr. Garofalo, who joined us the other day. Darren, thanks for the email. You can be in touch with us anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. And of course, every month we select an email that really gets us talking, really prompts us to think. And we award a Real Talk email of the month. We ship a Real Talk studio mug to you, of course, free of charge and hope that you rock it proudly every tuesday we celebrate innovation we take a look at at something that's really raising the bar it could be a community organization it could be an invention it could be a person making an impact around them we call it the leading edge and it's presented by leading edge physiotherapy and i am so excited 
to introduce you to this development. Researchers at the Riken Institute in Japan have designed remote-controlled, rechargeable cyborg cockroaches. Yeah, that's right. Cockroaches. Now, these are not robot cockroaches. These are cyborg cockroaches. In other words, if you're watching this on YouTube or on Twitter or Instagram right now, what you're seeing, this is a real live cockroach with tech on top. These are Madagascar cockroaches. They're six centimeters long. Uh, Now, the reason why these are a great fit is because they don't fly, so they're not going to take off. Now, why on earth do we need rechargeable remote-controlled cyborg cockroaches, you ask? Well, they can be used for search and rescue missions in hazardous areas, and they're great for monitoring the environment. Because as you know, it's nearly impossible to kill a population of cockroaches. So researchers had to develop technology that conformed to the cockroaches' bodies. It couldn't impact their movement, right? The solution is a backpack with a battery. It's charged using built-in solar cells, ultra-thin solar cells that stick to the cockroaches for long periods of time. This is absolutely fascinating stuff. And of course, researchers believe that over time, this is the type of invention that could literally save human lives as rescue missions oftentimes take us into inhospitable environments, to say the least. The researchers at the Riken Cluster for Pioneering Research have blown our minds using solar cyborg technology on some of the most heebie-jeebie-inducing insects on planet Earth. And for that reason, we're proud to feature them in this week's edition of The Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. You ever seen something like that before? Never. A six centimeter long, like a a two and a half, three inch cockroach with solar cells on its back. I love it. I love it too. (laughs) You imagine you're in a, I don't want to like take us to a dark place mentally, but you're in a type of circumstance where you've experienced a disaster. Let's say there's a building that's collapsed Mm -hmm. and there's hazardous materials around and rescuers are working in a race against time and they're trying to get you. And all of a sudden you hear that little click, 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 and in comes a four inch Madagascar cockroach with robotics and solar cells on its back. Never been so happy to see a creepy crawly (laughs) never been so happy to see a cockroach closer to home for us uh this is a story that we wanted to bring to your attention this is what you might call a developing news story Uh, alberta's justice minister tyler shandro uh, going on the record uh, just yesterday saying that after conversation or at least after receiving a request uh, from the federal minister for public safety, that's Marco Mendicino, federal liberal minister, regarding the federal government's uh, firearms confiscation program. Uh, Alberta's justice minister, Tyler Shandro, says, count Alberta out. They're not going to help Ottawa seizing these guns. And he explained why. Here's a portion of the news conference from Alberta's justice minister, Shandro, just yesterday. And while the federal government has labeled them as, in their words, assault style, end quote, that's a label designed to scare Canadians who are unfamiliar with firearms. It's a description based purely on their appearance and not on any unusual danger that they pose or mechanical capability that they possess. Indeed, these guns are not materially 
different from any number of semi-automatic rifles and shotguns that continue to be legal for any qualified Albertan to own. This is politically motivated confiscation, pure and simple. One that will do nothing to make Alberta a safer place or to reduce the criminal misuse of firearms. And so, I responded to Minister Mendicino by telling him that no, Alberta will not assist the federal government in this or any federal effort to strip lawfully obtained personal property from our residents. Okay, so you're watching this and you're going, well, it's not Alberta sheriffs that are going to be doing the confiscation. It's, it's, it's not politicians' security detail uh, under the direction of the office of the premier as an example. I don't even know if that's how they operate. Probably not. But it's going to be the RCMP, right? And since when did the Alberta government dictate or direct the actions of the RCMP? And the short answer is the Alberta government doesn't. Uh, now, the federal government may still direct the RCMP and, and, and potentially will to serve as so-called confiscation agents. And, and so what does the province of Alberta intend to do about this? Well, the minister confirming yesterday that Alberta will formally dispute any attempt uh, by invoking Article 23 of the PPSA, quote, Alberta has been told, says Minister Shandro, that the federal government will use the RCMP to confiscate firearms as they did during the 2013 floods when the RCMP seized over 600 firearms during the notorious, says the Justice Minister, the notorious High River gun grab. Actions taken today will seek to prevent history from repeating itself. Further options are being explored and all options are on the table. That from Alberta's Justice Minister. Now, of course, he refers to this as political and politically motivated. You may clap back by suggesting that phrasing like the notorious high river gun grab would also be politicizing this. And of course, you would be right. I couldn't help but notice Adam Toys reporting on this. Uh, a former colleague of mine with Global News uh, yesterday he says mere days after the RCMP seized nearly 50 guns, some of which were registered, some of them not registered, from an individual who allegedly waved an ostensibly loaded handgun at another driver during a road rage incident. Alberta's justice minister is instructing the RCMP in Alberta to not seize guns. He goes on to say, and then the minister, Shandro, retweeted a known far-right, quote, media outlet, he's talking about Rebel, Days after the outgoing premier, Jason Kenney, the only premier Shandro served under, said that far-right media monetizes anger, something that concerns Kenny greatly, his words. Adam says this is the same minister under a different portfolio who allegedly stood on a doctor's driveway shouting at the doctor. I don't think you have to say allegedly in this circumstance because Shandro apologized for it. He confirmed it and apologized so let's say he stood on a doctor's driveway shouting at the doctor while the doctor's family was inside. Everybody remembers that story, or do we? Voters' memories are short. For which that minister and the Law Society of Alberta member will have a virtual meeting every, or rather in three weeks. He says this is all public record. He shows Chandra retweeting Rebel News, which is a tough look. And then he links to the full release from the Alberta government on challenging the federal firearms confiscation program, which I just read from. You can check that out yourself. Adam does a good job at at Adam underscore toy. So this is, of course, political saber rattling from Alberta's government to the federal government, claiming that the federal government is doing the exact same thing, taking aim 
at firearms owners across the country. Now, this will particularly resonate with people in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Of course, rural landowners will point out, rightfully so, that firearms ownership is part of living out there. It's pretty tough to run a farm or a ranch without them. There will be hunters that will go on the record and say, this is our hobby. This is how we feed our families. Guides will say this is our livelihood, and they'll make compelling cases against seizing these guns. But how much does the general public actually understand about this story and the motivation behind the federal government's initiative? That's something that we will continue to take a look at in the days and weeks to come, and we invite your feedback to the show as well. I think of our conversation just a few weeks ago with Rod Giltaka from the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. I have a sneaking suspicion that Rod's not a huge fan of the federal initiative. You can always search our archives on YouTube, or of course, you can check out our podcast archive as well. Easy to search anywhere you download your podcasts if you'd like to hear that interview with Rod Giltaka. I want to get to an update, as mentioned, on Hurricane Fiona and tee up the shows that are coming up on Real Talk in the next couple of days. Uh, Before we do, we remind you that these shows do not happen without sponsors like Apex Automation. Now, we tell you, if you're an engineer, in particular, professional engineer that's looking for a new challenge, the best move you can make is to swing on by apexautomation.ca today. Now, they started in Edmonton, but over the last few years, they've been expanding locations. They want to be close to their client sites, and they also want to make sure that their valued team members are home as many nights a week as possible to be with their families. And so that's why they've set up offices in Calgary and Lloydminster and Saskatoon, in Vancouver, in Bonneville. They're getting set to open, and their initial offices will be opening in the United States early next year in Tampa and Houston. Opportunity abounds in the fields of automation, fabrication, and engineering. You can check out projects and career options available right now at apexautomation.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you that the fall blizzard lineup is there ready and waiting for you. That includes the delicious cinnamon roll blizzard and, of course, the pumpkin pie blizzard that's a fan favorite through fall Uh, don't forget of course the signature stack burger menu dairy queen's got you covered whether it's a full meal you're looking for or maybe just a cool treat you can get the family together or visit yourself at the dairy queens in palisades nemeo newcastle westmount and baseline road i talked to the team at st albert dodge yesterday getting set to take a look at the new Jeep lineup heading into the fall and then the winter. More Canadians trust Jeep than any other brand of SUV. You're not going to find a better selection of Grand Cherokees, Grand Wagoneers, and Wranglers than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They've also got a great promotion on right now. 0% financing for 60 months up to $67.50 in total discounts on the Ram 1500 as well. You can find the details online, shop online or in person at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And finally, if you're the type of person that likes to get ahead of your schedule, have all the pieces in place so you're never running behind, and that includes 
next season's landscape design, now's the perfect time to get in touch with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. You can check out the services they provide, including excavation. Maybe you're looking to run a natural gas line to your garage, get a heater in there on a thermostat before the frost hits. Their portfolio as well shows how versatile they are in bringing outdoor spaces to life. Get in touch with Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. You know, every morning we get in here and we have our coffee and we've got, thanks to you, John, some some chill vibes going on. we got some good tunes going on and we're kind of wrapping our heads around what we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. for the show. And this headline from the Globe and Mail jumped out at me and just turned my stomach. Hurricane, this is Claire O'Hara and Matthew McLaren doing the reporting. Insurance claims from Hurricane Fiona expected to reach $700 million in Canada alone, obviously, they're talking. Uh, but flood damage from the storm surge will not be covered. Now, this is expected to stack up as one of the most devastating and most expensive natural disasters in Canadian history. And it sounds like a lot of people are going to be left holding the bag. When it comes to some of the most expensive storms in Atlantic Canada uh, for the federal government, because there's going to be some assistance here, that's the expectations that people will have. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it comes to total disaster financial assistance payments in millions of dollars, Igor was the most expensive. That was stacked up at about $86 million. So in this case, we're talking a drop in the bucket. Dorian back in 2019 was $37 million. And then you had a whole bunch of others, Juan, Chantel, Arthur, in the in about the 15 to $20 million range. We're talking $700 million here now impacting people in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, and, and Quebec's Magdalene Islands. Uh, Saturday morning, we saw the majority uh, of that impact as homes and businesses were hit with hurricane-strength winds. Uh, these ocean storm surges that pulled a couple of people out to see a, a, a woman in her early 70s regrettably passing away. Her body recovered, as you may have heard on Sunday, and of course, very heavy rain. Uh, Environment Canada says it expects the storm's central pressure, the lowest barometric pressure ever recorded in Canadian history. So a noteworthy storm, to be sure. I wanted to mention this even for no other reason than to remind people how important it is to check your insurance coverage. We hear stories like this all the time, whether it's auto insurance and you're not covered in a specific circumstance, whether it's your home insurance and you're not covered with certain acts of God, as we call them, or others, basement flooding included. It's worth the two minutes it takes. I know it's one of the boring things to sift through contracts and read the fine print, but you have just a sick feeling for the hundreds or thousands of people that are really going to take one on the chin here. Mm-hmm. Man, Definitely. oh man. Are you a guy that goes through the, like takes a look at the fine print and you stay <laughs> on top of it? you say that because we actually did that this week. So we're getting a new vehicle and we've got another vehicle that we don't use that much. So we're going to kind of put it away for the winter. So yeah. we went and got the park and fire for the other one. And we oh, also yeah. upgraded our home insurance and we added pet insurance. So we put it all on one provider now instead of separate, but that's what my wife does. She still like you, you're a big printer guy. She prints everything <laughs> off, reads every line. So yeah, she's on the ball about it. And, and she should be like, I don't, I don't want to read all that stuff, but I, I'm glad she does take the time. Cause there are things you miss, right? Yeah. 
I'm uh, I, I'm uh, I am a bit of a printer guy. You I, are. I just you like to read. You like to hold. It, I like right? to hold it. Like if I'm reading an email, I like to. I don't have to, but I like to hold it. And, yeah. I, and I and I make the notes for the show. I handwrite them and I have them on the and I just yeah. I, it just makes it feel like maybe you know people have different learning styles and things like that. And people often say like for some folks, and this has been the case with me too, that if you're writing something down, let alone writing it down a couple of times, mm-hmm. that you're you're more likely to remember it or it's more likely to stick. It's That's more like. Exactly, to resonate exactly what my wife says so she does she writes recipes down she re, she gets recipes out of books she buys recipe books she doesn't go online she does all that so and yeah. she absorbs it better right she remembers it yeah absolutely hey before we let you go i want to tell you about something i've mentioned before my personal trainer graham duty and this is not i'm not benefiting from this i'm not getting any money from this i just this guy's kickstarting something and i was like buddy i got to tell real talkers about this because i think that people might be interested do you have like do you have an indoor rower for example and you're not doing anything with it indoor rowers don't hold as much laundry as as like peloton bikes i know no. people more use the exercise bikes to air out their laundry yeah there's or a ton on to marketplace hang, there's on a Facebook. ton on marketplace yeah. they're like the most expensive laundry dryers that you're going to be able to buy <laughs> but if you have an indoor rower and you're not doing anything with it and you want to or maybe you're searching for a fitness community but you're squeezed for time i want to refer you this is a personal recommendation to graham duty you check it out at grahamduty.com d-o-o-d-y at grahamduty.com if you click on engine room he's kicked off this new initiative it's the engine room indoor rowing team and they're getting a whole bunch of people together now you don't have to join in person this is something that you can do from the comfort of your own home okay this is a program for people interested in developing fitness and then ultimately being challenged by racing on your indoor rowers. So if you're looking for a professionally designed program and you think you might benefit from having remote training partners, this team is for you. Okay. And it's not going to break the bank either. So there's an online monthly program for like 29 bucks. Uh, there's a monthly returning member initiative for 24 bucks. You can sign up at GrahamDuty.com. Graham's been on me to get involved in this. Uh, I'm feeling a lot of pressure in a good way to get involved in this. Who knows? Maybe I'll see you out there, Real Talkers, but I just wanted to put this on your radar. There's no strings attached. I'm not benefiting from this. I just really believe in what Graham does, and he's been helping me get healthier, and I know he could do the same for you. I just want to share that friendship with you. I want to share that connection with you. You can check it out online at GrahamDuty.com. As mentioned, on tomorrow's show, we're hoping that Brad Galloway's got his voice back. If not, we'll book him later in the week. Uh, He's a, a former white supremacist that's literally dedicated his career and his life to combating extremism in Canada. Plus, Dr. Sajad Faisal is going to join us. We're going to talk about his audition, what a politician's going to have to do to earn his vote. Based on the email we just read, he's a common sense advocate. We'll get him to define it, I promise. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. 
Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.